This is the voice of the Report of the Week, signing on. Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening in to tonight's broadcast of VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week. I should have said podcast, but you know, obviously, it's a matter of semantics there. Thanks for tuning in. This is the late June edition of this new podcast. Hope everyone out there listening in is feeling and doing all right. I hope you find tonight's program to be enjoyable. Let's uh, get into this right away. First and foremost, we'll get to uh, two messages from the sponsors, and into the show we go. Please stay tuned. Tired of poor quality fashions that have to be thrown out after just one season? Ecocentric has the high-quality, trendy styles you're looking for. Shop their hand-picked vintage clothing and upcycled fashion accessories. Browse the wide selection of vintage and pre-loved clothing that is much better than stores. Love the way you look and feel. It's the eco-friendly choice that makes our world a better place. All eco-centric items are pre-washed and ready to wear as soon as your package arrives. Easy online shopping and fast shipping with great customer service. Visit Ecocentric and save 15% off your choice of items for a limited time only. Use the following coupon code at checkout. Ecocentric15. That's E-C-O-C-E-N-T-R-I-K-15 at checkout. Remember, that's ecocentric.etsy.com. E-C-O-C-E-N-T-R-I-K dot Etsy, E-T-S-Y dot com. That's Ecocentric, with a K, dot Etsy dot com. Are you interested in cryptocurrency? If so, you may be interested in 0x Bitcoin, a fully decentralized ERC-20 token native to the Ethereum blockchain. Using proof-of-work mining, 0x Bitcoin is fairly distributed with no pre-mine, no insta-mine, and no ICO. 0x Bitcoin is designed to be the main medium of exchange and store of value on the Ethereum blockchain. 0x Bitcoin combines the Bitcoin properties of block rewards, proof-of-work issuance, mining reward halvings, and a 21 million coin cap with the Ethereum properties of speed, dApps, and DEX trading. Using the original Bitcoin within the Ethereum network is not possible without using a centralized means, such as wrapped BTC, which exposes users to additional risk. 0x Bitcoin is secured by Ethereum, making it immune to 51% attacks, 0x Bitcoin can be transferred faster and cheaper than the original Bitcoin, and can be used within the Ethereum network without the user giving up control. Look for 0x Bitcoin on Uniswap, and for more information, join the 0x Bitcoin Discord. This ad was paid for by a 0x Bitcoin holder and enthusiast with no affiliation to the 0x Bitcoin developers. Creators After Dark is an inspirational podcast featuring new and underrated content creators. 
The show's storytelling format allows the guest to tell their story with minimal interruption. It's perfect for nighttime listening. After VORW, check out Creators After Dark. All right, that taken care of. Obviously, if any of that is of interest, uh, be sure to check it out. I always mention the sponsors because, well, by and large, it's to fund the new broadcasts that I've been doing to Europe. Uh, If you have a radio, by the way, and you're located in Europe, if you're in Russia, if you're in the Middle East, if you're in Asia, or if you're even in Africa, uh, make sure you break it out and tune into my new airing. Costs quite a bit of money, that's why I do the ads on this show and all of that. But uh, it's been a great success so far, and uh, if you have the time in your schedule, consider giving it a uh, a listen. It's a one-hour program, goes out every Friday at the time of 7 p.m. Eastern European Summer Time. That's 7 p.m. Moscow Standard Time. That's 6 p.m. Central European Summer Time. 5 p.m. British Summer Time. On the frequency of 96.70 kilohertz, that's 9.670 megahertz. So uh, please tune in every Friday for that new broadcast. Also, if you enjoy the show, you want to support it, you want to keep it going, uh, consider supporting it with a donation via PayPal to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com or via Patreon, patreon.com slash the report of the week. I'll only say that once, but uh, just getting the message out to uh, everyone listening. So we kind of ran through all that sort of stuff. Next order of business. Uh, In the last show, we mentioned fan art. And indeed, we have a few pieces of fan art featured in this program. And again, I would like to extend the invitation to uh, everyone out there listening in. uh, If you are feeling artistically inclined and uh, you would like to make a piece of fan art that will then... Uh, subsequently be featured in the next program that I do, feel free to uh, go for it, you know. Make whatever piece you'd like, any interpretation. It could be anything under the sun. That's the whole point of it. Just have fun with it. But if you'd like to make a piece of fan art to be shared uh, in the next program, like I said, just have fun with it. And then just send me the piece as an attachment via email to v. O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. So that is the way to send it to me. Likewise, if you send me a piece of fan art, be sure to let me know how you would like to be credited. Because should it be featured in a program that I do, uh, I want to let the viewing and listening audience know uh, who did the piece. So, it could be something as simple as just giving your name. Uh, However, if you would like to be credited to a social media account where more of your work can be found, or to a website where your work is hosted, uh, that is certainly welcome as well. So just let me know how you would like to be credited. Uh, Be sure to include that. Uh, If nothing of that nature is included, uh, then I'll just keep you anonymous just to you know, to play it safe. So, uh, that's just for anyone out there who would like to, uh, make a piece of fan art and 
get it out. It's a tradition that uh, we've been doing on this show for many years now, for I think the last eight years, and uh, it's a pleasure to keep it going. So just an open invitation to everyone out there. That said, we have a few pieces of fan art to uh, feature in tonight's program. So let's get to them. The first piece is credited to Fio Fernandez. So that's who the first piece goes out to. Second piece <laughs> with the uh, with the Burger King crown uh, goes out to an anonymous listener. The third piece of fan art is credited to a listener who could be found on both TikTok and Instagram. Uh, both profiles have the same name, and that's Lil Queen Victoria. Now that's just one word, so no space is there. And to spell it out, that's L I L Q U E E N V I C T O R I A. So it's Lil Queen Victoria on TikTok and Instagram. And the fourth and final piece of fan art goes out to Amanda. So my sincere thanks to all of you for creating such lovely and delightful pieces of fan art, and I hope you all know I sincerely appreciate the time and effort that you put into it. I hope anyone that has the opportunity to check it out most certainly does. Okay. All that aside, two things that are just on my mind, mostly two things, I think. The first thing... Now, quite frankly, I don't really care what direction it takes. You, you just get to a point, and it's like if you get it, you get it, where uh, I just don't care anymore. I don't really... I don't give a damn what, what direction it takes. You know, that's why I'm not going to hold back. Where... Uh, I thought to myself, I'm curious what other folks think about this. And even though I kind of got in trouble with this sort of thing back in 2020, like I said, I just don't really care anymore. So be it. Um, that's just going to be the, the way that it is. So understanding that attitude, I thought to myself, I wonder what other people think about this. And I'm just going to go for it. One thing that I think all of you have heard about in the news for maybe the last, I'd say, month and a half at this point is monkeypox. And I just want to know, what are your honest thoughts on it? That's just a question to you, the listening audience. Uh, what are your thoughts on everything going on with the monkeypox? Do you think that it's going to be the next big pandemic? Do you think it's going to be a cataclysmic event? Do you think it's overblown? Do you think it's exploited? Do you think that it's just, eh, it might affect some folks, but it's not really a big deal? Uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you make of it all? What are your thoughts? I'm curious. You still see it popping up in the headlines to a certain extent each day, and I'm just curious what uh, all of you out there listening think about it. Just general thoughts. Just what you know. What is your impression of the situation? 
if you'd like to go further and um, share your thoughts on it overall or where you see things going or if you have any thoughts or theories or just two cents, um, by all means, I'd like to hear it. I'm going to share it in the next broadcast, um, some viewer thoughts and comments thereon. And like I said, I don't really care. They could take the show down if they don't like it. I'm just past the point of uh, trying to beat around the bush with that sort of stuff anymore. So if you have any thoughts, whatever it might be, um, regarding the monkeypox situation, I'd like to hear them. If you want to have your thoughts shared on the next program, the only way to do it is by emailing me. That's it. Uh, A comment will not be... Uh, read. It's just for the sake of organization, and sometimes it's the comments. They get deleted by YouTube, or they get caught up in YouTube's uh, spam filters or something. I don't know. There's problems with them sometimes, I notice. So it's not reliable, and and they won't be read that way. Uh, Just send in an email with your thoughts. I'm just curious what your impression of it is. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com Uh, The next show that I do will have a segment where we'll read some of your impressions. Again, on the monkeypox situation, whether you think it's just something as simple as a weaker strain of a familiar virus going around that isn't really a big deal, uh, whether you think that it's something that's going to be worse, whether you think it's going to kill everyone, I just want to hear it, to just go for it. I'm interested in this sort of stuff right now. So let me know. Don't hold back. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Obviously, if I feel like the show won't be suitable for YouTube, then that segment would be put everywhere else but YouTube. But uh, to be honest, we'll just see what direction it takes and uh, go from there. So that's the first order of business in that regard. Second thing... I don't know how many people this is really going to apply to, but um, I've been running into some problems with uh, the radio broadcasts that I do on the shortwave for listeners in North America. To be honest, lately, I feel like it's been a waste of both time and money. And I'll just put it in those harshest terms because I don't really think there's any other way to uh, describe it. Uh, I really do think that it's a waste of time, a waste of effort, and a waste of money at this point. I think under different circumstances, it wouldn't be. But I think given the way things are right now, um, there's issues. And that's all you could really say about it. I don't want to go as far as to say that its days are numbered, but have I certainly thought about either A, making drastic changes, or B, pulling the plug completely on it? Uh, I sure have. The broadcast, because right now we've got the airing to Europe, which I've been publicizing, obviously, and that's going great. That is a massive success. I couldn't be happier with it. But the broadcast that I've been doing to North America, which has been going consistently since the uh since early 2015 I, you know something's going on with it look something's going on here that's all that i could say now some of these things i don't know they might not really be 
under my anything that I could control or have any sort of say or uh, influence over. But there have just been problems that have been so long lived at this point that it it's tough to discern whether it's worth it anymore or not. Uh, by that I mean obviously, and this I think makes sense to everyone listening, whether you're very familiar with the way shortwave broadcasting works or not. And I just want you to put yourself in my shoes and then ask yourself, what would I do if I were in this situation, right? So, this is a broadcast that I do four times a week every week. So it's I, I put forth four hours a week to doing this show. Now, obviously, it's longer than that. It's more like eight to 12 hours a week when it comes down to the process of putting together the news that I want to read and discuss, picking out the music, uh, the time that it takes to reply to all the listener emails, uh, recording the show, then editing the show, and all of that. You know, so several hours each evening are put toward this show, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening. So a lot of time gets put into that. I just want to establish that first and foremost. And then with that, I think some people think, like when you think of how some radio stations work, like if you're listening to the FM radio, right, and you hear the guy on the music station or the sports station or whatever, you think this guy works for the station and he's getting paid by them. And this is the exact opposite. I have to pay for the airtime. So, not only is that effort and time being put into doing this broadcast four times a week, but each hour of airtime uh, costs money. And the station that I use, WRMI, their airtime rate is between 60 and 100 US dollars per hour. So mind you, that adds up quickly when you're thinking this is four hours a week, every week. You multiply that, all right, four times, you know, one week and then the next and the next, you know, week on week, month on month, year on year, the costs add up, as does the time, the energy, all of that. So just explain that first, so just that you know what goes into it, right? Now, that aside... For years, the way that this show has been working on the shortwave has been very straightforward. Uh, I'll do the show, I'll put it together, and it will be broadcast every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday evening at the time of 10 p.m. Eastern on the frequency of 5850 kHz. So that's 5850 kHz. And not to get overly technical, but again, you just need this context so you know uh, the problem. And then, I don't know. I don't know really what to do at this point. That's why I'm kind of just articulating my thoughts. I don't know if anyone could help at all with just any advice. Or, I don't know. You think, you know, it's just one of those things. So the way that it works is there's the radio station in Okeechobee, Florida. So that's a location in south-central Florida. And they have 14 
100 kilowatt transmitters. So the broadcast is sent out with 100,000 watts of power. And the way shortwave is, is the signal gets beamed up into the upper atmosphere, and then like light reflecting off of a mirror, it'll bounce back down to Earth a bit further away, and it'll just reach a very large swath of land. So it'll be beamed up from Florida. It's kind of directed toward Vancouver, Canada, but the signal will wind up falling back to Earth and starting around the Atlanta, Georgia area and then all points to the northwest. So the signal will usually come in reliably for listeners in Georgia, Alabama, um, the Carolinas, Tennessee, and then as we keep going into Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, right? And then it'll keep going from there. It'll get into the Great Lakes region. Uh, It'll get into the southwest, into Texas, New Mexico, It'll get over into Utah, Colorado, into the Pacific Northwest, and even into California, into Canada. And uh, it'll just reach a large swath of the country. Only area that isn't really able to get a good signal of that broadcast is the Northeast. Really all points New York and into New England. Eh, The reception just isn't that good over there. Now I've been on this frequency since 20, early 2017, consistently. So I've been on this, at this time, for five years. And again, I mention that because when you're on there for long enough, you know what to expect, right? You've seen the feedback that comes in week after week, month after month, year after year. So you know, in terms of listeners being able to pick up the broadcast, how things are supposed to be, okay? Like I said, I mentioned these so we could understand where things had been, where things normally are, versus where they are now. And there's a reason why I stuck with this time and frequency for so long, because the results would be outstanding. You'd hear from many listeners all over the country who, by and large, would be uh, reporting a very good signal. And I was very happy with the results. Like I said, that's why I stuck with that and made that my main frequency. So things remained good consistently, again, for years, up until about, again, like a month and a half ago, I would say. And then, just like that, everything changed. Now, at first I thought, because sometimes with shortwave radio... Certain weather conditions can kind of make the reception a little iffy from time to time. So it's not always unfamiliar to have some nights where the reception is a little bad. But consistently for several days, then for a week, then two weeks, then three weeks, and then for a month, and now a month and a half, most listeners across the board are just suddenly, like flipping a switch, saying, well, wait a minute, reception isn't very good for me anymore. And you especially start noticing this in the Midwest, in the Southwest, in the Northwest, on the West Coast. 
that these areas, and I could even monitor the signal through these online receivers, and you could see for yourself that the signal is considerably weaker night after night after night. And when it happens for so long, just like that, reception just, bam, it's like you're flipping a switch. And it's bad across the board consistently, then something happened. And something has changed here. And even lately, the reception in areas of the southeast, like again, North Georgia, uh, which was usually one of the areas of the country where reception, especially at this time of year, is most consistently good. Usually it's crystal clear up there. But at this point, it's weak, it's fluttery, it's barely audible for the most part. And that's the area these days that's getting what you could consider the best signal. And I've never seen anything like this, and I've been on this frequency and station for the last five years. And in upwards of 80% of the emails that come in show after show are reporting the same thing. I can't hear you anymore. Or I can't hear you clearly. Or something changed. And it's very weak, it's very fluttery, it's very static riddled. It used to be clear, but now it really fades in and out and I could barely hear you. When that's happening consistently, night after night after night, it gets to a point where you have to reconsider things. So that's, that's the issue. When you're putting all this time, energy, and financial resources into something that no one's really getting anything out of anymore, then what do you do? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, why don't you just change stations or change times or change frequencies? If it were that easy, I would have done that already. Problem right now is there's no alternatives that are at least any good at that same time. So, number one, if I want to broadcast at 10 p.m. Eastern, I'm dead in the water already. There's nothing I can do. Now, another thing that might just come to mind, you might think, well, why don't you bring that up with the station? I did, and they're just as confused by it as I am. They acknowledged the issue, they acknowledged the problem, and they pretty much said, we don't understand why this is happening either. So that's what they told me. So... There's no good solution here. I can either keep doing what I'm doing and inarguably waste a significant amount of time for 10 people who could actually hear it clearly and everyone else can't, or the only other solution that I can even reasonably conceive is there's an opportunity where I can change the airtime to still four nights a week, but it would be moved a bit earlier, and it would be on a different frequency from a different transmitter. And I've tested that for a week, just to see. And the results have improved for some listeners, 
in the southeast and the southwest mostly, but everywhere else in the country it's no better. So it's like, all right, that frequency is definitely improving things for some people, but others wouldn't really be any better off. I can do that. I could move that, and at the very least, it's like, is it really a good outcome? It's not ideal, but would it be better than what we've been going with? Maybe, right? Because at least that would be improving the reception for at least maybe like a third of listeners. And I guess that would be a step in the right direction. As opposed to everyone suffering, now it's just two-thirds instead of 100%. So that's the first choice. The second choice would be going to a different station completely. And the only other station that I could think of that can kind of mirror how the results originally were their airtime is pretty much filled to the brim. And I would pretty much reduce the show from four hours or four airings a week to one airing a week. So we would be cutting the show's reach in North America by 75%. These are our options. Now you could see what a, uh, what a situation that is. I feel like if you want to talk about a no-win situation, that's uh, what it is. So, pretty much what we've got on the table for the radio side of things, wait it out, and everyone suffers, change the time and the frequency, keep the four hours a week, a third of the audience gets a better signal, the other two fir- the, o- the other two thirds don't, and that's just how it's going to be. Or, we move it to one night a week on a different station, Hopefully as many people as possible get a better signal, but at that point in time, it's now just a one show per week type of thing, 52 shows per year, instead of, you know, pretty much the uh, over 200 shows that there would be per year. So that's another problem, right? That would be significantly reducing the uh, capacity of things. There's no good choice here. Um, What I'm kind of leaning on now is... uh, I don't really want to cut the show back that much. That's the thing. Ideally, if I could avoid doing that, then that's how it's going to be. I I would rather, you know, have the reach as it is and do the four shows a week, get the message out, get what I do out, to whoever I can, but keep it at the four nights a week. I don't want to cut it back to one night a week, so I'd probably discount the last one if I could. It seems like, I mean, I'll give things, what I'm thinking right now is I'll give things another month, and if that original time and frequency that's been really letting me down lately gets any better, then, I mean, that would be great, but uh, I don't know if something's going on here and it doesn't, then I don't think we're going to have any other choice but go to that earlier time in the different frequency, and uh, it'll just improve for who it does, but if it doesn't, that's just going to be how it is. And uh, I would just air it then in that reduced capacity, coverage-wise, but I would make it clear that it's still available online for Patreon, and try to do a better job promoting its online distribution. 
So that's what I'm thinking of. Anyway, I'm not, I don't really know. It's just the situation with not a really good solution at this point, but uh, it's just how it is. Now, that's not even mentioning the economic situation. If things get worse financially in terms of, be that the cost of airtime or inflation getting worse, then it might just come down to a point where we're just going to have to reduce the reach of it anyway, either way. Um, it just couldn't be a justifiable expense anymore. But that will be for whenever that happens, if it does. Might never. We'll see. So, just giving you all the uh, heads up on that. All right. Sorry to uh, take up the amount of time that I did with that sort of discussion. I didn't really mean to, but uh, I guess I could be long-winded at times. Anyway, for the remainder of the program now, I want to open up the email and uh, read and respond to some listener emails. I welcome your feedback. Like I mentioned earlier, of course, um, any thoughts on the monkeypox situation are appreciated. However... Understand that if you want to write in, it doesn't have to be about that topic solely. It doesn't need to be about that exclusively. As you will hear for the next hour or more, I'm just going to be reading and responding to random miscellaneous listener emails. And when I open up the email, and when I kind of do this mailbag portion where I just read your messages, I want it to be a blank slate, and that's exactly what it is. So even if I mentioned that topic earlier, don't feel like that's all I have to write about if I want to get on the show. Most certainly not. If you have any questions for me, could be about anything, feel free to ask them. Is there a topic you would like to see me touch upon? Feel free to reach out about that. Is there something that you would like to share, just an anecdote or something on your mind? Feel free to uh, write in regarding that. Uh, could be anything. If you're not really sure, then just listen to the rest of the show. See the types of emails that come in and uh, go from there. Way to write in and uh, send in a listener email is simple. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com That's V-O-R-W I-N-F-O at gmail dot com. All right, you're listening in to VORW Radio International, the voice of the report of the week. So what I want to do is uh, open up the email and read some listener feedback. Uh, I'm not sure how many emails we necessarily have, for this program, but uh, we'll go through what we can. Certainly, we'll uh, well, we'll see what's there. And beyond that, obviously, uh, I suppose that'll be that for the show at this point. So let's take a look. Let's open up the inbox. Let's find out. Okay, here we go. Pretty sure this is where they are. All right, and let's just start somewhere, because we have to, we gotta start somewhere. And let's take a look. I'm just going through them right now. 
think I say this in every show, but it would probably be better to uh, go through these beforehand. But, you know, it is what it is. What, it, what does it matter in the end? It doesn't really. All right, we'll just start on uh, on this one, and then we'll work our way down. We have some longer comments and some short ones. This listener says, Hope you're doing well. I'm having a tough time. Listen to your latest random talk podcast on YouTube recently. Sorry about the negative reviews being spammed at you by dodgy folks regarding the show. Uh, you deserve better. Ignore the haters and keep up the good work. Your opinion on life, uh, its formation and existence, that it's a crapshoot, is entertaining. Might as well be the case since the universe may have spun biological life on chance or not. So thank you just for your kind words there, your short comment. Uh, you mentioned you're going through a tough time. I, I hope everything improves for you no matter what it is that you're going through. I hope things get better on your end. We have another short comment coming in from Alvaro. Says, I uh, listen in on Spotify. Really just listen to the show every day. And... He said, everyone wants me to get off the podcasts. But it doesn't really stop me. Really a big fan of yours. Uh, thank you. So thank you, Alvaro, for writing in. Strange that people want you to uh, stop listening to podcasts, but... Uh, Assuming nothing is done to extremes or excess, then uh, you got to do what's right for you. Thank you for writing in, and I'm glad you enjoy the show. Another short email coming in from the Panda 6400. I just wanted to say I enjoyed hearing you cover the Russian-Ukrainian conflict and radio's role therein. And I think increasing broadcasting to Europe was a good choice. Have a great morning, evening, or night. So thank you, the Panda 6400. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was a good call to do the European broadcast. And I will say it's reaching a very enthusiastic and appreciative audience, uh, especially in Russia and Ukraine as well. So it's good to see that the broadcast is getting out even better than I hoped for it to. So it's all all going nicely there. Uh, I guess we'll go through all the short emails first. Ben in the UK just checks in, says, all the way from the UK, my one-year-old enjoys the sage advice you give about fast food. Well, thanks, Ben and company. Thank you for uh, tuning in, especially via the YouTube. So thank you, Ben. Anonymous listener, just wanted to send a quick email about how excited you made another podcast discussing cryptids. That's my favorite type of podcast you make, and I'd love to see you discuss some more. Thank you for your kind words. I'm glad you enjoy the programming. Jonathan writes in, the Arby's review was amazing. Had the sandwich today and concur with your assessment. Thanks, Jonathan. Glad you liked the uh, Arby's video and found the review to be uh, to be of help to be enjoyable so thank you there 
And that's about it, I think, again, for the short emails. So now we'll get into the longer ones. And it goes like this. Chadwick writes in a couple random questions I thought of and wanted to ask you. I've been having trouble reaching any more than a few channel. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm just going to answer that one in writing because I have a thing that I'll usually send in cases like that. All right. So, Chadwick, if you're listening, I'm going to be sending you a written response for your uh, second one. It, it, for those of you who are curious, it was a, a shortwave reception issue. And, you know, I get those from time to time, so I've made a little bit of like a reception guide that I'll kind of send to uh, folks who are having uh, difficulties, just like a little troubleshooting guide. So I'm going to send that to you. Hopefully that'll help. Uh, Your first question, though, I kind of... I don't know. I can't believe someone's actually asking me this legitimately. I'll answer it. It's no problem, but uh, I I just kind of laugh. Um, You ask, have you ever considered doing MDMA? No, no, Chadwick, I haven't. Um, but thank you for the suggestion, though. <laughs> uh, no, it's... Uh, can't say I've considered it. But like I said, thanks for asking. I guess I strike you as an MDMA aficionado. I've got an email coming in from Justin. New listener, been enjoying the podcast. He said, I think they're excellent. Was just wondering what your thoughts are on petitions. I've asked because I found that so many seem to not have faith in them anymore, and I'd like to know how you feel about them. Thank you for your time, and God bless you. Your podcast has been of great benefit to me during a difficult time. So thank you, Justin. Yeah, petitions. Oh, here's my here's my two cents. I do think that by and large they're a waste of time these days. I think that so many things. It has been demonstrated conclusively that so many of the powers that be um, in various realms, it's mostly the same, be that in politics, uh, be that with companies, be that with media organizations, etc. They're all the same. They have their modus operandi. They have their agendas. They have their financial interests. And... That's all that they will abide by. You know, they don't really care what the people think or say, um, because a lot of them know that they have enough pull, so to speak, that even if people don't like something, it's not really going to matter in the end either way. Uh, So by and large, I think a petition is usually a waste of time. Um, Not that I necessarily oppose them, I think if someone has a cause that they believe in, and here's what I think anyway, I think a petition could certainly be used to supplement something. So let's say if someone has a cause that they believe in, and they're really passionate about it, etc., and they're trying to convince something or change someone or whatever it is, I, I don't think there's any harm in having a petition alongside everything else, but... You get people who say, well, I've got a petition, and they act like if it gets 2,000 signatures, let's say, that all of a sudden 
everything that they're hoping for, all of their hopes and dreams are suddenly going to come true. And I disagree with that. I, I just don't think it works that way. So, like I said, if someone wants to go through... But also the other thing is that if you're going to make a petition, I think you have to accept that odds are it's going to result in failure. And that's just the way it's going to be. So you have to understand, if you're putting a lot of time into a petition, ask yourself this, am I all right contributing this percentage of my time to this, understanding the likely course of action? And if you are, then by all means, go for it. I would just advise against um, making a petition and betting everything that the results thereof are going to uh, going to change anything. You know, I, I just don't really think... I'm not optimistic when it comes down to petitions and their efficacy. Of course, there have been instances, right, where a petition does work, where it does change things, but most of the time, do they? No, I don't think so anyway. I'll tell you this, sometimes I'll get people that'll share these uh, petitions with me, and I just delete the emails. Usually if someone does that, I'm going to mark their email address as uh, spam, because, you know, I just don't want to hear it. That That's my honest truth. Sometimes I'll get people who uh, will send me these automated uh, messages. They'll say, ah, so-and-so signed this petition and uh, wants you to do it too. And the problem is that people, like, they'll, they'll do that and they'll send me that email a dozen times. And I think to myself, why do you think spamming that to me is going to make me anything less than frustrated at the fact that I'm being spammed with this. You know, sometimes I'll check it out, but a lot of these online sites with petitions, they make you register this, input your information there, do this, that, and the other thing, and then I ask myself, for what? Yes, I, I just don't bother. But like I said, look, if someone's really passionate about it, I... I I can't bash them for doing that. It's something they believe in. It's something that they want to do. I get it. But I don't really think that they do much of anything these days. Maybe there was a time when they did. But these days, not so much. I'll tell you, you know, there was a time, even a couple years ago, where I was a little more optimistic about petitions. And this is kind of what solidified things. It was like, I'll even use myself as an example here. I was, back when Radio Australia first left the airwaves, th there was kind of a little bit of a advance notice, and there was a lot of protest. And there was a petition going around to send to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation to uh, try to make them reconsider their position on abandoning uh, the shortwave broadcast. I signed the petition... And I promoted it. I promoted the hell out of it. I even promoted it on this podcast. Oh boy, what a what a load of good that did, you know? <laughs> what a world of difference that petition made. Boy, that really that really showed them all right. That really changed their minds. Yeah. So I mean, beyond that, I felt like I wasted my time. I wasted my effort. I wasted my energy for what, you know? But like I said, you want to do it, then do it. 
I don't think it's something that's inherently wrong. It's just a matter of are you are you putting your time to good use or not? And I can't answer that. You know, that's something you got to decide. So that's the petition. The petition answer. Joe in Boston. Three questions, and for the most part, I've got three short answers. Question one. I've been in Florida for two weeks, and I saw you wearing a light sweater in your Arby's Wagyu review. Not sure where you are exactly, but don't you get hot? It's been no less than 85 degrees every day I've been here. No, believe it or not, I, I don't. Um, well, one, well, here's two things that you have to understand. Number one, the heat doesn't really bother me that much. Um, you have to understand that well, weight-wise, there's really not a lot of substance here. I'm like a glorified skeleton, essentially. And I get very cold uh, very easily. So, as a result, I don't really sweat at all, nor do I overheat. So when I'm outside, um, let's say in that review, I was wearing... A long sleeve white shirt. I had a black vest on, and then I had the uh, black sweater over it. And it's actually I call it like a house coat. It, it's actually like um, it goes. It's longer than my knees. It kind of goes down halfway, at least to uh, halfway along my calf. So it's a very long, kind of like coat thing, all black, and um. Obviously, black pants, black socks, black shoes. But I wasn't hot wearing that. I was fine. I, uh... That's not to say that I was freezing cold, but I was, like, temperate. And I sat outside. I did the review. And after the camera was off, I, uh, stayed outside for a little bit. Ate, uh, the rest of my meal. And that was that. And, like, the other, uh, the other review that I did for the Pizza Hut thing... You know, you could see I was wearing a black three-piece suit. Uh, same type of situation. So because the temperature doesn't really bother me and I don't sweat very much at all, uh, I feel comfortable wearing that sort of stuff outside, and it's fine with me. But at the same time, you know, you have to put into uh, account various factors as well. I always have a cold drink nearby, number one. So that's the most important thing. Ice water, usually. So there's always that cold beverage that, you know, keeps me cool. It keeps the temperature in line. It moderates things out. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you have to understand, well, what's the degree of physical activity, right? I'm just sitting there. I'm very sedentary uh, in that regard. You know, I'm not outside doing heavy lifting, you know, I'm not outside doing yard work. I'm just sitting there. So you have to understand that. It's like if I were out there, uh, well, let's say in the sun, uh, pulling up weeds or something, yeah, uh, you know, I will be much warmer than if I'm just sitting there at the table. So that's another thing that needs to be taken into account. But I believe that everyone's personal tolerance to heat uh, is different. And... It's just something that's different person to person. Same thing goes for cold temperatures. So, 
that's uh, my two cents there. Like I said, it's just something that's, again, I think it's different from one person to the next. Question two. Will you be putting out any non-review-related videos? In time, yes. Question three. How are you doing? Could be better, could be worse. Thank you, Joe, from Boston, Massachusetts. Writing in. Anonymous listener have a question. You ever watched the 90s sitcom X-Files? Thought you would enjoy it? Filled with 90s goodness, lots of suits, good alternative music. It's a high IQ show built around Monster of the Week stories mixed in with elaborate conspiracy theories. It's brilliant, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's my favorite show ever, and I think you'd really enjoy some of the intelligent, wholesome quirkiness of it compared to most garbage made today. I'm also not a big television person, and I haven't wanted to watch a movie or a sitcom in years, but uh, this is one that's special. I implore you to check it out. Just start at season one and go from there. In my opinion, seasons one through six are the best before modern societal decline took over. Anyway, that's all I have. You're a gem. Be blessed always, and thank you for the wonderful content you bring us. With utmost sincerity, Anonymous from the Midwest. So thank you, Anonymous listener. Happy to uh, report that I have seen the X-Files. Now, we're talking about the original X-Files. I know a few years ago, didn't they Didn't they bring it back a little bit? And I don't know if that was the biggest success, but um, in regards to the original 90s X-Files, oh yeah, I've seen it. If you'd believe it, I've seen every episode of it from start to finish. Every season, every episode, uh, everything. So I've seen it all. And uh, I always enjoyed it. It was always... There's a reason why I've seen every single episode of the entire show. You know, it's not like I was torturing myself with it or anything. Um, Yeah, very enjoyable. And uh, I most certainly enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you, though, for the recommendation. A a good show, indeed. All right, we've got Toby writing in was listening to the new podcast and curious if you're a NASCAR fan uh, or if something else brought you to Pocono in the past. I'm guessing the hot dog contest was not the reason you went to the race every year. You a big car guy? I have an interest in cars, so it was something that piqued my interest. Anyway, just trying to provide possible subjects for the mailbag portion of the show. So thank you, Toby. Now, it was the hot dog contest. Um, you know, I I like my food. I mean, I review the damn stuff to begin with. So when I saw that, because I kind of had that as like a little subtext on the uh, promotional like flyer or the website or whatever it was that I remember seeing for the Pocono race. Maybe it was a commercial or something. But anyway, it was like the subtext. And it mentioned that this was back in 2016, mind you mentioned that for the first time they were going to be hosting the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest Qualifier there on the grounds at Pocono Raceway. And I thought, this is something that I've always wanted to see, you know, because I would watch it on television, uh, you know, the big one on Coney Island on the 4th of July, and I'd see all the guys there, you know, 
whatever the guys' names were, uh, Joey Chestnut and the one guy, I think Kobayashi. And I remember seeing them shoveling these uh, hot dogs into their face and just kind of swallowing them down like that. And I thought, this is mesmerizing, you know? You could, I think you could learn stuff by seeing this. So I looked at it like in two ways. I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to treat this number one as a little excursion, you know, get out of the house, go to Pennsylvania a little bit, and, uh, you know, just see the sights along the way, but use that as just a little a little bit of an excursion, get some fresh air, etc. Number two, most importantly, this, I treated it like a, like a pilgrimage of sorts. I can finally see the event with my own two eyes, right? I could watch it. I could watch these guys eat these hot dogs at an extraordinary rate. And now I could determine for myself whether or not there's any tricks, you know, like whether or not, let's say the guys are using sleight of hand, right? Because you think to yourself, how could someone actually eat 50 hot dogs? So maybe one of the guys has like a like a long sleeve shirt or something, right? And, you know, he's using elaborate sleight of hand and he's actually putting the hot dogs down his shirt sleeve instead of eating them, but he's doing it so, so, um, quickly, you know, like those Las Vegas magician shows where you're just not noticing it. And, um, you know, like that's a possibility, or maybe if he's just wearing a t-shirt, he could have it tucked in and he's just dropping them down into his shirt instead of eating them, right? And you're just not noticing it because there's so much action going on. So I wanted to verify that those things weren't happening and that they're really eating. And number two, these guys are like, I don't know the right word to describe it, kind of like food uh, gurus of sorts. And there's like the phrase that goes, you know, you want to learn from the master. Well, these guys are the masters, so I was there, I was thinking, even if I could just be in their presence for a little while, even if it's just for 15 minutes, watch them eat all these hot dogs, maybe I could learn something through it, um, maybe I'll feel a little bit better, you know, maybe just some of their energy will transfer over to me, and it'll be kind of like a healing process, in a way. Uh, so that was the most important reason. That's why I went in 2016, even in in the rain and everything, to see that. And same thing in 2017. Coincidentally, I know I mentioned that in the subsequent years I haven't gone, you know, mostly due to the COVID stuff and then just too many people. But coincidentally, they actually moved the location of the hot dog uh, qualifier. So there, there wasn't any motivation to go anymore at that point, honestly. So, I mean, that's why I would go. It's like the cars, you know, that's just an afterthought. It's just, I want to be there for the hot dogs. So, there you have it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing around with you, Toby. Uh, no, I, I would always go to NASCAR for the race. That That's why I would be there. Uh, I've been going to the NASCAR race in Pocono for years, probably since, like, 2005 or so. And... Uh, it was to see the NASCAR stuff. It became like a yearly tradition of sorts. And, 
It just so happened that I was walking around one of those years and happened to see the booth for the hot dog stuff, and I thought, oh, what the hell, let's let's watch it and see what happens. Because it looked like the race that year was going to be rained out anyway, so I thought, oh, why not, let's see what it's all about. So that's where that came from. Um, but no, it was just like a tradition of sorts, see the race. All the drivers that I really liked, I don't think they're racing anymore. I always used to like the Hendrick Motorsports team. I always liked Jimmy Johnson, uh, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Those are my those are my three. Those are my three favorites, and uh, it was enjoyable to see. But my God, you know those cards are so loud. Uh, it's one of those times where the television. It's just you will never understand how loud they actually are until you're physically there. It, 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 it's like it's so loud it makes your ears sting. So. Uh, you gotta be wary of that, and um, if you're sensitive to loud noises like I am these days, I mean, prepare to be in migraine hell, even with ear protection. Alright, let's check out some more emails. Let's see what we've got next. Alright. Short email... <laughs> comes in from Elijah, just said, um, I saw a clue on Jeopardy that you would like. Said, still important in the developing world, this long-distance radio format uses frequencies between AM and FM. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with me there. Next email comes in from Charles, who says, Back in 2020, I was tasked with writing a bucket list for a school assessment. While most other students didn't take the assignment seriously, I actually wanted to sit down and figure out what I wanted to do with my life before I die. I have lots of travel destinations on my list, including Australia, Tokyo, and England, but my most ambitious travel goal is to visit all 50 states, and I've been to only eight so far in my life, but I have plans to knock a lot of them off. My question for you is, which states have you visited, and of those, which one was your favorite? Thank you, and keep up the good work from Charles. Thank you, Charles. Uh, you mentioned in the header, Charles from Pennsylvania. So thanks for your email there. First, I'll uh, touch upon the topic of bucket lists. I think bucket lists are a... Uh, I think they're more useful for some than others. And I think it's one of those things that... Um, it, it really, I think, it just comes down to how you perceive life and, you know, what exactly you want to do with your life and the time that you have here. I think that bucket lists are one of those things that it doesn't really work for everyone, doesn't really apply for everyone, but I think for some people who kind of have those Im ambitions, it could be useful to organize stuff and uh, just kind of at least as a basis or a framework for things that should you have the opportunity um, you can do with your life. 
like in your case, places you want to see or uh, you know things you want to do, etc. As for me, I guess you would say I'm one of those people who uh, I don't really care about bucket lists or any of that. But again, it's just one of those things. It's like, if you like them, you like them. If, if they're useful to you, that's great. If not, then that's, you know, that's how it is. But me personally, when it comes down to life and all of that stuff, I figured, look, um, if I die right now, let's say at this desk, so be it. I mean, what do, what do I care? Doesn't matter. So uh, I could drop dead right now, and, uh, and that'll just be that. Nothing I really, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't sit here dying and thinking, God damn it, I didn't swim with the sharks. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, so be it. This was my time. And uh, that time's up, and uh, that's all there is to it. But that's just my changing view of kind of, you know, life or the absence thereof, you might say. But everyone's different. Some people would say, "Ah, oh, damn it! I wish I could do. I wish I could have done this or that." Or some people would say, "Yeah." I feel like I've done enough, you know, and some folks, I guess like myself, kind of have uh, a bit of indifference, you might say. Yeah, that's just that's just the way it goes, you know? That's all you could really say about it. Anyway, on to uh, the more important subject of traveling. That just, it got me thinking about bucket lists, that's all. Um... I've been to a number of states, and I have not been to all 50. Let me count right now. I kind of, as I was uh, answering your question, or it wasn't even a question, I was touching upon the topic of bucket lists, I was simultaneously filling out a map, marking out the number of states I've been to, and let's count. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26, all right, I've been to about 32 states, I would say. So, more than half, um, but by no means have I been to all 50. And, essentially, the eastern seaboard, uh, some of the western states, California and Hawaii, and uh, the majority of the Great Lakes, region I have been to. Um, and some states are definitely better than others. Some states, you know, I've been to more than others, or have more to say about, for instance. I mean, obviously, I think one of my favorite states, but I'm not really going to count this, uh, is Florida. But, um, you know, it's it's different. Um, I think we're talking about states that I've visited, so I'm going to exclude Florida from the list. Uh, some of the states that I liked were Hawaii. Um, that was a pretty good state in terms of at least stuff to see. It's a state that's got its problems, let me tell you, but it does have some beautiful areas therein. Uh, Hawaii is definitely a pretty good state if you would like to uh, to see it. I will make the brazen claim, having been there, that I think the island of Maui is overrated. But that's just my saying so. 
personally, I enjoyed the big island of Hawaii the most. Uh, Honolulu was a pretty nice city, but again, when you're analyzing these things from a tourist perspective, it'll only go so far, but um, I would say my favorite was the big island of Hawaii, and following that was Honolulu, but Maui, I don't know, it's overrated in my opinion, I don't really... Not that there's bad things, I just, of all the islands there, that was the one that I enjoyed the least. So that's just my take on that, should you find yourself in Hawaii. Um, otherwise, Maine and uh, New Hampshire, pretty good states right there, I'll say that. I think that they're pretty, but they're, they're rich in history. Uh, the city of Boston has some history as well, and I enjoy that kind of stuff. Virginia, all of Appalachia, I like Virginia, especially the western parts of Virginia. West Virginia, of course, Kentucky, Tennessee are nice. South Carolina, I prefer compared to North Carolina, though uh, in North Carolina, the Outer Banks is, uh, is pleasant. And some areas there are nice. I can't really say, I mean, again, excluding Florida, that makes this this thing a whole lot more difficult. Otherwise, I would have just answered Florida. Um, some of the states in the Midwest I haven't really been to as much, essentially. Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. I all just, I drove through pretty much. I can't really say much of anything about those states, good or bad. Illinois, my only perspective was Chicago, and I'll leave it at that. Nebraska. Omaha was actually a pretty decent city. Quiet. It was actually, it was, it was a quiet city, but I have nothing bad to say about it. Um... Colorado wouldn't be a state that I would ever live in, but it's got some some very pretty areas. The mountains there were very nice, the Rocky Mountains, of course. Uh, even the areas in eastern Colorado, driving in, yeah, I, I I thought it was nice anyway. Thought it was pretty, just a pretty state overall. Colorado, Wyoming. Rather desolate, a good state to be left alone in, though, I would tell you that. And, of course, uh, home of the beautiful Yellowstone National Park. And uh, Montana, again, you know, pretty... It's just a state that you could be left alone in, and those are things that I appreciate. Very pretty states, obviously dealing with some flooding in the news. You've been hearing... California, I can't really say much about. Um, I was just in the Los Angeles area briefly for the Tosh.0 stuff, and that's all that I could really say. So it's... If I had to speak solely based on personal experience, it wouldn't be fair for me to uh, say anything about the state. Because all you'd be hearing is 
essentially the Tosh.0 film studio, LAX airport, and In-N-Out Burger. Boy, what a rounded assessment of that state that would be. So, you just have to do your own research. Some states have more redeeming qualities than others. But, uh, you know, try to, uh, try to just look at a balance with each state. Understand that every state, for the most part, has its good and its bad, but don't let the allure of travel blind you. In that, you need to realize that some states, one quality will outweigh the other. And you just have to accept that as a fact. Uh, but in the end, I think that's it's just subjective. Like I said, I don't know if I could necessarily say one state definitively is better than this or that. Because there's certain qualities in the states that I enjoy that other people wouldn't, you know? And that's just what it comes down to. Uh, but thank you. Good, uh, good question there. Made me think a little bit about that sort of stuff. So thanks for writing in. We'll actually go right over to this question, since it's actually in a similar vein, not quite, but um, regarding states, actually. Matt in Portland, Oregon. As someone who grew up in rural southern Oregon and moved to Portland a few years ago, I'm still struck by the cultural and political divides between the two. As an example, a fair number of kids at my high school had Confederate flag stickers on their cars, but in Portland, that sort of thing would likely get you suspended. The idea that big cities are suppressing the political will of rural areas is such a common one, from where I'm from, that there's been a desire to create a new state of Jefferson out of southern Oregon and northern California. I was wondering if you've had any experience with this cultural divide and or your thoughts on it generally. Thanks for all the years of entertainment, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Sincerely, Matt, Portland, Oregon. This is something that I've thought about a lot, to be honest with you. Um, I'm going to load up some maps right now. I have thought about this so much that I think some of you listening wouldn't believe it. But in my free time, oh, you got nothing better to do with your life, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's true, perhaps, to an extent. But uh, it's my time, and I'll do with it as I please. And uh, one thing that I've done is, for the most part, I've assessed, essentially on a cultural and political level, Every single state in the United States, on a county-by-county scale, name a state, and I've done it. I'll look at the, um, you know, political maps, essentially. You could easily see the different parts of the state, and just the urban-rural divide, which states are essentially more predominant one way or the other, And it's gotten me thinking about uh, various hypothetical scenarios. 
And there's a few states in particular that I've kind of honed in on where uh, this is overwhelmingly apparent, uh, especially the states of Virginia. You could look at the Northern Virginia area as opposed to the rest of the state. You could probably make the exemption with uh, Richmond. Uh, Look at just to the north of that, look at Maryland. And now compare the DC suburbs and Baltimore to the rest of the state. Look at New York. Upstate New York versus the rest of the state. Now, that's nowhere near, at least in this day and age, the sort of divide that you see even in, let's say, looking at Western Virginia versus uh, Northern Virginia. Look at Illinois. Rest of Illinois versus Chicago. You know, you look at Michigan, Detroit, comparative to the rest of the state. To an ever-increasing extent now, we go to Georgia, the Atlanta area, compared to... Just look at North Georgia and compare and contrast that. Look at the state of Texas. Compare the Texas panhandle to Austin, you know? I mean, and we go on and on. Washington State, Oregon... Nevada, California, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, all these states you could draw the similar uh, sorts of comparisons. The more rural areas, the differences that they have between the uh, urban areas. And some states, you know, there's certainly the balance is different. Uh, For instance, like with Georgia, for instance. It's not necessarily the case yet that Atlanta has overwhelming pull on the rest of the state. Not yet. Give it a decade and it will. Um, But you look at Illinois, yeah, Chicago dominates the state. And obviously when we look over at Oregon, right, yeah, Portland, Oregon, they call the shots for the state. Now, people living in Oregon don't have a problem with that. But you start looking at the maps right now, you start looking at, um, you know, let's say, I'm looking politically right now. We look at the voting margins uh, for the 2020 election, right? We look over at the Portland area, okay, 81% to 18% Democrat versus Republican. We've got 300,000 votes right there, pretty much. Now we look over in Eastern Oregon, we're seeing a complete switch. 80% Republican to 20%, Democrat 81%, going county by county. So I'll look at these maps and there's some interactive ones that I'll use um, where you can screw around with the margins. So I could go over right now to Portland. Let's go to Portland in the suburbs. Let's put the election turnout to zero. Everyone in Portland right now ceases to exist. All right. Four counties nearby. Forget it. They've been, uh, they don't have a say anymore. Now all of a sudden the state of Oregon is a red state. About 52 to 47 percent. 
So, you know, that changes the dynamic of Oregon if Portland didn't exist. But we reset everything, obviously, with the existence of, of Portland. Um, it's a very blue state, almost 60-40. Now, right now, we accept in this country that that's just the way that it is. Um, certain states, you know, just aren't going to be that way, uh, just like the state of Illinois, Right. We, we mess around with that. Let's get rid of Chicago. All of a sudden, bam, just like that, Illinois is a red state, more akin to like how uh, Indiana is. And uh, anyway, I've played around with these maps for hours and hours. I've played around with the maps for uh, the margins, but then I'll load up different maps and... There's this one where you can take counties from one state and you just redraw the borders. So I can say right now, let's load this up. And you could do this with margins, let's say in terms of elections, anything from the 2000 election to the 2020 election. Uh, usually I go with the 2020 election, but I'm not afraid to say I've kind of played around with these maps for every single election that I can. I'm also not afraid to say that I've probably moved every single county in the United States multiple times. This is just what I do sometimes with my free time, um, because I enjoy these thought experiments. And, uh, yeah, it's fun to change borders and do this sort of stuff. But, yeah, many times, I would say probably dozens of times, I've changed the borders of Oregon, and I'll split the state. I'll take all of the red counties in eastern and southern Oregon, and we're going to make it part of Idaho, for instance. And I'll do the same thing for Washington State. And it's just interesting to see how things change in that regard, and uh, it's just something I'll play around with. Now, anyway, that sort of sentiment, though, right now, like I said, it just is what it is. But I give that as an introduction because it's something that I've thought about a lot, I've played around with a lot, and I think to myself, the way this country is going, I, I think about the future, I think, well, you know, will a civil war happen? And sometimes I think that the writing is on the wall, but then I have second thoughts, not because there's any optimism, because trust me, there's not, but many of the prospects for anything happening, I think, wouldn't really come to fruition, largely because a lot of Americans, often for better, just given the alternative, but, um are very, number one, distractible, and no offense meant, I just think it's a fact. I think the prevalence of platforms such as TikTok proves that point ten times over. I think people are very complacent, and I think people will go to great lengths to try to retain 
uh, many of the uh, creature comforts, you know, that modern life provides. So, by that I mean, if you could either, if you were given the choice between sitting at home guzzling down your beer and watching the big game on television, or you could be in a trench fighting, even if it's for a cause you believe in, what's it, what's it going to be? Uh, obviously, the former. And that's going to go for pretty much everyone in this country. Now, I'm not advocating for any of the Civil War stuff. Um, I don't want to see this country torn apart by war. But I'm just saying, because of these qualities, that's why it's not going to happen. That's why you have people that they go on and on and they say, oh, it's going to be, uh, just give it a couple more years, we're going to accelerate, uh, there's going to be a civil war, or they'll say there's going to be a race war. No, that stuff's not going to happen because of the things we discussed. That's, and this is my pessimistic opinion coming through right now. I think theoretically, not saying this is actually going to happen, I think theoretically, though, things could get so bad in this country, and no one's ever going to do anything about it because of those former um, points that we raised. Gas could be $20 a gallon, and people are still going to sit there, and they're going to take it, and that's just how it's going to be. Uh, they're going to take it, they're going to accept it, and they're going to be told, do I just drive less? And people are going to nod their heads. A few people won't accept it, but not enough. Not enough people. And uh, that's how it's going to be. That's, that's what I think, anyway. I think people are just going to go along with stuff. And that's just how it is in this country. Part of me thinks that you could have hyperinflation that'll make the Weimar Republic seem like paradise... And people will gladly take their wheelbarrows full of worthless U.S. dollars at that point uh, to go buy a loaf of bread. And uh, I think, sadly, too many people might just be thinking, well, yeah, what few personal possessions of mine can I try to trade out so I could get another wheelbarrow so now I could bring three wheelbarrows full of money to buy uh, the next loaf of bread, instead of thinking, why did we get in this situation? Is there anything that can get us out of it? I think people just, they accept a lot of stuff and uh, very complacent. At the same time, though, I think some of that stems from the fact, not that everyone is just uh, they're, they're passive, uh, misguided idiots, uh, and if they tell you to jump off a cliff, they'll all do it. Right. It, I don't think it's it's that completely. I think a lot of it also comes from a feeling of, you know, powerlessness. You think, you look at the ruling class, you look at the Washington establishment that goes both ways. A lot of it, it's just the same people with uh, a different letter next to their name. But in the end, what the hell difference does it make half the time? And, uh... You get that, you get people that think, look, I'm just one person, what, what, what does it matter in the end? Nothing's ever going to change, I'm just one person. And, uh, and that's where it comes down to. I get resigned to that too, I think, look, 
so many problems going on, but I'm just one person. What does it matter in the end? Things just are how they are. Things are just going to be the way that they are. I think a lot of things are kind of predetermined in a way that uh, it doesn't matter. And I feel anyway that because of that, it's just going to be a certain way. And you feel powerless. I just kind of I feel resigned to it. I feel resigned to a future where everything's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And uh, just say, yeah. I don't like it, but uh, what can I do about it? No one's going to do anything about it. No one, you can't do anything about it. That's what you got to realize, I think, at this point. You could think in a perfect world, if everyone did this and that and the other thing, we could fix these problems and those problems and make life better for everyone. But is that going to happen? You think about how people are, how a lot of people actually are. The inherent greed, the inherent selfishness, I think the inherent, in some folks, psychopathy, that people are going to exploit the goodwill and generosity of others for their personal gain, that they'll drive what could be good causes right into the ground because of those traits established. And just things won't be able to turn around because of that. We're going to do it to ourselves. That's why so many things wind up this way. Money, power, control. And those traits, you know, a lot of people... Their mouths start watering when they see that. They get hungry for those sorts of things. And some people, they get a taste, and then they want more and more, and they start screwing everyone over. And, uh... God. Why did I have to go on this probably incoherent, long-winded, extremely negative, pessimistic, political rant? Ah, well, we'll leave it in. I'm sorry, Matt, to uh, put you through that. Anyway, I went on a long tangent. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean for it to take that turn. Anyway, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that I've studied the the power dynamic, and we'll just use Oregon as an example. Sometimes I, I think legitimately that maybe it's better for things to... We could still be a United States, but sometimes I think... Maybe this country would be better if uh, we kind of changed the borders a bit, you know? And maybe this country would be better if, let's say, in Oregon, uh, if we let Eastern and Southern Oregon become part of Idaho. The populations in those areas would probably feel like they have more representation and they're in a state that would be better suited to their needs. And I think a lot of the folks in Portland wouldn't really be all that upset that many of those folks in the rest of the state wouldn't be part of the state anymore. So it's essentially the politics of Idaho would be better suited for those in eastern and southern Oregon, uh, whereas the politics of Portland would be better suited for everyone else uh, in the remaining areas of the state. You know, northeastern Oregon. And, uh... That way, policy-wise, the Portland politics would have greater impact on the folks who uh, support that stuff, and uh, the politics of Idaho would have more 
benefit to the, the rural folks, right? Same thing would go to pretty much, let's say, in the state of Washington. Everything uh, to the east of Seattle could become part of Idaho, too. And uh, it wouldn't be even establishing other states. It would just be changing the state borders. Now, I will submit right now, there's not a chance in hell this is ever going to happen, but I've just explored this hypothetical so many times. I've thought about even adding parts of Northern California to Idaho, you know, making, uh, you know, expanding the state borders to that. Taking parts of uh, Eastern Colorado, making that part of uh, some of the Great Plains states. You know, taking South Georgia, making that part of Florida, and making part of North Georgia, um, maybe Alabama, or uh, Tennessee. Making a lot of Western Virginia, well, part of West Virginia. Taking the Maryland Panhandle, making that part of West Virginia. Uh, I've divided up Illinois more times than you could count. And anyway, we go on and on. I've just... I don't know if balkanizing is the right word because I'm not really making any new states. I'm just changing the borders of the uh, original states um, to kind of make things... Now, yeah, would it change the dynamic of things? Absolutely. And you would now have certain states that aren't balanced out anymore. It's like... um, Idaho would be even more conservative than it, e- than it is right now, and Oregon would be even more liberal than it is right now. And, uh... I don't know. Sometimes I think, though, if those borders were changed, yeah, a lot of people... But I think to myself sometimes, if the borders were changed and certain things happened like this, and it goes the other way, too, you know, it's easier to move around the, uh rural areas um, and make things that way, but you could do the same thing with urban areas as well and just change the borders and think to myself, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, would people be happier that way? It would be interesting if you could just somehow just kind of get a crystal ball and see if these sorts of borders actually changed. How How would the U.S. wind up? Um, would people be happier that way? Would things get better? Uh, would some of the, you know, discontentment arising in society by uh, many groups on all sides, uh, would that get a little bit better? Would people feel less, you know, like they're in, uh, oh, I'm in enemy territory by being in this state, or, you know, I don't know. I can't answer that. I, I don't know how it would play out. But certainly something that I've thought about. And I've thought, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know. If all of a sudden, let's say those areas of Oregon, you know, let's say if they became part of Idaho, I wouldn't be upset in the least. I would think, oh, that's going to be interesting to see. And um, I would just assume that a lot of the folks there would be uh, would be happier that way. I think Portland would be happier. They'd say, oh, I'm glad these people are out of my state. And the rest of Oregon would say, I'm glad to be out of that state. I don't know. That seems... It doesn't seem like uh, 
the worst thing in the world to me. It's not like they'd be seceding the country. They'd just they, the government would get their tax dollars still. They'd just be part of a different state. But again, that would never happen. There was last year, I remember, some talk that I think three counties in the Maryland panhandle, uh, Garrett, Allegheny, and Washington County, because you have to understand about the dynamic in Maryland that, you know, you have, again, the D.C. suburbs and Baltimore, that that, that will make the state always overwhelmingly uh, blue. Actually, in 2020, uh, it went to Biden by a margin of more than a million votes. So, I mean, <laughs> anyone who thinks that Maryland is uh, is anything but a solid state, I, I don't know what to say. Um, solidly democratic, that is. But you have these three counties on the Maryland panhandle that are the exact opposite of that. You know... It's like Garrett County, almost 80% Republican. Allegheny is 70%. Washington is 60%. And people there were saying, we're right here near West Virginia. We can relate much more to West Virginia than we can Maryland. Um, maybe we can uh, become part of West Virginia. The governor of West Virginia was on board with that idea. He said, look, if you guys want to be part of the state, we'll welcome you. But these sorts of decisions, it's not like the state, it's not like the counties, I should say, just uh, can get up and leave. I think it needs approval from the legislatures in both, in both states. And that's an unprecedented thing. And obviously the Maryland legislature wouldn't allow that. And then I think one of the counties got cold feet anyway. And it, it just never happened. And it would never happen with Oregon either. Um, no matter what. Those counties in Oregon, uh, no matter how happy or unhappy people in the cities and the rural areas are, they're just going to have to essentially deal with it and uh, and say, look, we're just going to be part of the same state and we're, we're, this is how it's going to be. Uh, same goes for Colorado. Same thing goes for California. Same thing goes for Maryland. Same thing. Let's turn the tables. Let's look at Ohio. Right? Same thing goes for the cities there. That they're going to be there in Ohio. They can't become part of, well, let's say, Pennsylvania or something. It's just not going to happen. That's just the way that it's going to be. But anyway, I don't think I really have a coherent point. I'm just trying to say I've focused... I don't know. I don't know how many hours. Dozens, maybe. I don't even know. Maybe more. Might be more. Might be an absurdly long amount of time uh, actively, you know, thinking and then messing around with these maps about the urban-rural divide, the cultural divide, the political divide, the socioeconomic divide, and... Uh, I'll change the borders, I'll do all that sort of stuff, and I think maybe it would be better that way. But, um, I don't know. That's, see, the key problem with that argument lies with the first word that I just said there. Maybe. Not saying it will. Maybe. Right? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. 
Yeah, it would be, you know, I don't have a problem if it would work out for the best. Hell, change all the borders to the states. Draw, make the states unrecognizable in that case, if it's going to solve our problems. I think people then, if it actually did, people wouldn't have a problem with it. Everything got better, their respective states improved, people were happier, people... Certain states would be a paradise for certain folks, and you wouldn't have these issues. All right, that's great. Could all, uh, all be a uh, happy country. <laughs> Odds are, I don't know, people would probably be even more miserable than they are now. And, um, maybe that would send some people over the edge. I don't know. Guess in the end, it's just better to go with what we know, and, uh... And, well, uh, things are still together at the moment, and, uh... Guess we're just gonna have to assume that they stay that way. And like I said, I think that they will. I think, though, that the polarization, if you'd somehow believe it, it's gonna get worse. And I think sort of aggressiveness is gonna get worse. But I just don't think that you would see an organized... Uh, civil war. You know, there might be a day where you'll get some splinter groups and some splinter secessionist movements here and there that'll do stuff, but it's not going to be on any sort of level. You're not going to see hundreds of thousands of people doing this and doing that collectively. It's not going to happen. I think you might have an online civil war, but, um... You know, people will still be taking it out on social media against each other. And in the end, you know, it's just going to be a degeneration of behavior if you would believe such a thing is even possible. I bet I let a lot of people down with that answer, but, um... Yeah, what can you do? What the heck is this? this mean? An email just came in. Please help. I am trapped in a... I don't even... I don't think it's a necessarily an English word. What does this mean? What is he talking about here? C-H-A-N-T-E-U-S-E. I look that up and, um... First word is in... Looks like French. In this... After that word says closet. What does that mean? Then again, the word is spelt at C-L-O-S-I-T. So that first word might not actually be French. It might be a gross misspelling. Let's search this guy's email address. Let's see if there's anything else that comes up. No. Let's look up the name. No. Nothing. 
Well, all I could really tell you, um, if you're trapped somewhere, I'm not the right person to be emailing about this. I think if you have that ability to sit there, because you said it was sent from your iPhone, then, um, you need to be calling 911 if you're trapped somewhere. And that's all that I could really tell you. Uh, call 911. Obviously, if you're in a compromising situation, again, if you're still on the phone, you know, and you, you can't really talk, I mean, still call the number. They could trace the, uh, trace the call and, uh, and do that. But whatever you do, um, you got to reach out. That's what you got to do. You, you need to be on the phone with emergency uh, authorities. Um, if it's just in a situation where you went in some closet and it, let's say the door closed on you and locked on you, again, you need to be on the phone with 911. And uh, you got to let them know. might sound stupid, but, you know, I'll, I'll see stories about people who, um, like they went into, they're playing hide and seek or something, and they went into an old freezer, closed the door, only to find that they couldn't open it again, and they died in there, right? You can't let that happen. You say, oh, it might be a closet. Yeah, but if you can't get out, that's a problem. You said you're trapped in a closet. Um, then call 911. Obviously, if it's with malicious intent, um, then be as discreet as possible, but you got to say, look, if I have the ability to reach out to help right now, I have to do it. I cannot squander that opportunity. But if it's not in a sinister circumstance, if you're by yourself, you're on your phone, then get on the phone with uh, emergency services. Get the fire department there. They'll bust through that closet and get you out. It doesn't matter. Um, they'll get you out. Believe me, they will. But otherwise, you know, if you're at home and um, it's not a sinister circumstance and there's other people there, then, you know... Start making noise. Start banging on the thing. Uh, yell. Let people know. Yeah, they. You know, they'll let you out eventually. I'm. I'm certain. If they don't, then again, revert to uh, emergency services. But um, you'll get out. I just don't know what you're emailing me about this for. But um, I wish you the best of luck with your your closet endeavor, and I hope all is well. All right, we have a couple questions coming in from Grady in West Virginia. Question one. My younger brother was doing a college tour, and they came across electrical engineering, and they had a room full of shortwave radios that they would build, fix, and test with. My question is, do you think you would want to work in this field if you were doing YouTube? Um... It's an interesting field, but I just don't think I have, quite honestly, the memory nor the technical know-how to uh, do so successfully. Uh, it's cool to ponder, but I just don't think I have what it takes. Question two. My uncle was telling us for months that he was winning all of this money on DraftKings. Isn't that like a betting site? And he was going to casinos, winning big money. He sent us pictures of evidence that he was winning all this money. And he went as far as to say he was buying 
a $600,000 condo with his nearly $1 million earnings gambling, and that he would let us stay two weeks every year. This continued for three months until the truth got out, and he thought it was absolutely hilarious. We are all outraged and questioning if we should ever trust him again. He was never really trustable before, but we think this was the last straw. Do you agree? I think essentially, to interject, you answered your own question right there. Based on what you said, you had a bad feeling about him before, this reinforced that bad feeling, then no, he's not trustworthy. As someone who would resort to that means of deceit just to mess with you and uh, get a laugh out of it, eh, that's, you know, I, I don't agree with that. I w- I, if I were in your shoes and someone did that with me, no, I wouldn't trust them, that would be that. Now, granted, you know, it would depend, but it sounds like you've had issues before, and that's that. Now, it's like, if let's say that there were other circumstances, but there would have to be very special circumstances, even if he wasn't all there, you still might not be able to trust him. I'll tell you this, I have my guard up extremely high. And the amount of people that I actually trust, I pretty much I could could practically count on one hand. Um, that's just how I am. I'm very skeptical of people, but I feel like you have every reason to be. I think in this day and age, you got to have your guard up. So many people out there that uh, are just plain evil and rotten, and. Uh, you got to keep it up just as a means to just protect yourself, really. You know, it's... People think by protect yourself, you're talking exclusively physically. No, it's also mentally, emotionally, situationally, etc. And I think having your guard up can definitely help. And being wary of those you trust, or, you know, not who you... Being wary of who to trust, I should say. And, uh, you know, it's like once I'll trust someone, it's a rare thing, but once I trust someone, I trust them. And, uh, and that's going to be that. But like in, in your situation, someone did that. Uh, for me personally, no, forget it. They'd be done. Especially if they had problems before. But even if they didn't and they did something like that, I would be wondering to myself why. Is it really just because they were doing that to make me, to, to get a laugh out of it? Is that as simple as it is? Or is there something more sinister uh, behind that? Um, but either way, regardless, no, I would say forget that guy. Get him out of your life, if possible. At the very least, trust him with absolutely nothing more than trivial water cooler talk. My advice, anyway. Are there any shows that stand out to you uh, as a favorite that you've watched? For instance, one of my favorites of all time is Breaking Bad, and I suggest uh, you check it out. I'm not a big uh, television or just online, you know, show slash series viewer. 
Um, but one series that I saw that I did enjoy was the uh, 2019 HBO series uh, Chernobyl. That's a good one. If you if you have the opportunity to watch it, I say uh, give it a go because it's it's not that long. There's not a ton of episodes, but um, to me anyway, it certainly made one heck of a uh, a pleasant and interesting viewing. Finally, you ask, going on a cruise to Alaska the next coming weeks, I love cruises and I can't get enough of them. Would you ever consider taking a cruise and reviewing and recording your experience on one? By far, our favorite cruise line and best reviewed is Royal Caribbean. So thank you, Grady, over there in West Virginia. I've never been on a cruise. Um... No plans to take one, but I don't have anything against cruises. And uh, I think if someone wants to take a cruise, by all means, they seem like pretty laid-back, leisurely activities. I think some people might enjoy them more than others. One thing, I'll say this, because there's not really much I could say on the matter, again, as I've never taken a cruise. Um, on the east coast of Florida... There's lots of ports that the uh, cruise ships will depart from, and some of those ports I've been, you know, up close to. I've, I've been right there. And wow, you look at the size of some of those cruise ships. Man, they are massive. I mean, they're some of the biggest ships you'll ever see. Essentially, cruise ships and then those... um what do they call them? Super tankers or mega tankers? No, super tanker. Those, I think, are some of the biggest ships to uh, ever exist. And uh, the cruise ships, though, those things, you would think they're almost like these massive buildings, but on water, they're so, they're so tall sometimes. They're, they're just, they're on a whole nother level. You won't, one of those things that's hard to visualize until you're actually there and you actually see it. And the same, I would wager, would go for those uh, super tanker ships. Now, that, as a tangent, comes to mind. When you think about the power of the ocean, now think about waves and rogue waves. And I know in the past people have said they don't care about that. I'll tell you this, I don't care. I'm just going to talk about them anyway. You think about waves and rogue waves. And one thing that I think some people lose sight of is if you, if you watch wave videos on YouTube, or um, you look at pictures, the problem is that you could look at the certain wave videos and you'll you'll see like there's some of them that they're just so big you could look at that and you could say that's a big that's a big wave but when you're out there in the open ocean it's hard to really grasp the size of some of these waves when you're watching a video number 1 because we know that just there's certain things We've all been there. You know, you've got your phone out, you're filming something, but when you review the footage later, or the same could go for pictures, you know that it's just not always the same 
as how it was in person. Um, be that just the way it captures the perspective or the detail or the sound or, you know, it's just not the same. It could give maybe an impression, but it's just not, it's not like how you're actually, how you witness something when you're there in person. And number one, we've got that. Number two, though, is that it's difficult to get perspective in the ocean. When you're looking at these waves, but there's nothing around really to say, all right, how big is this wave? What is it relative to, right? What is, where is an object that, let's say, is six feet high? And then we can compare that and really determine, wow, that's a big wave, or that's not as big as I thought. Not really, it's usually just waves and other waves to go off of. And a lot of the time, you look at these ships in waves, and all right, you know, usually the camera is taken from the bridge, and you see the ship, and you could even think to yourself, yeah, it's a big, it's a big ship. But the perspective is always off, because it's just, it's just tough to realize the full, um, just how big it really is. It's like sometimes you'll see these ships. There's one famous picture of a rogue wave. And it was taken on one of those uh, super tanker ships. And it's like, you look at the picture of it and you see the wave. I mean, the thing is so big, you know, it's sweeping over the deck of, of... the ship, and anyone will look at the picture and you'll think to yourself, okay, yeah, this is a, um, that's definitely a big wave, right? But then when you think, you know, how big is the wave actually? Because, right, again, you look at it and you think, yeah, it's a big wave, definitely. But then when you look at another picture of the very same ship, and you see that you see how massive the ship is because you see a picture of the ship and then to the left of the ship taken i think during one of the, the maybe the gulf war or something there was a uh, a ship from the french navy that was escorting the super tanker and you see this navy ship that looks it looks like a tiny little boat compared to the size of this tanker And you realize that Navy ship is not some tiny little baby tugboat, you know? That is a Navy ship. That is, if you saw that in person, you would think that's a pretty decent-sized vessel. So when you compare that to the super tanker that it was escorting, and then you you look back at the picture of this wave that's sweeping over the deck of said super tanker, then it hits you and you realize, all right, not only is that a big wave, that is a monstrous wave. It's bigger than anything most people have ever seen in person. That, all right, now, when you realize that, you're not talking about a 20-foot wave, you're not talking about a 40-foot or a 60-foot or an 80-foot, you're talking about a wave in excess of 100 feet possibly taller, for something to actually sweep over the deck 
of that ship, and then some, when you realize just how big the ship is that you're talking about there. But seeing that initial picture, when you're just seeing the wave, the deck of the ship, but nothing that's really, again, a good thing for perspective, it gets tough to fully visualize that stuff because we're, we're used to seeing these different cues where you could see, okay, there's a car. All right, we know how big a car is. And now you could say, okay, it's pretty big compared to that. Or a building here or some trees there. But when it's all just waves and the ship, it's hard to differentiate for most people. I'm sure experienced seafarers would have no problem with that. But for the average layperson, even myself included, even though I really like waves and uh, the ocean and rogue waves and all that sort of stuff, um, it's hard to fully make that connection until you put things, when you get that perspective between the Navy ship, the super tanker, and then the wave sweeping over the super tanker's deck, you realize, yeah, that is a big wave. And then it amazes me that rogue waves weren't even fully proven until the 90s. When you think, hey, look at that stuff right there. That picture predated that. But um, I guess they just needed the hard evidence and the actual hard numeric data just wasn't there until the late 90s when the oil platform finally measured, I think that was an 84-foot wave there. But um, the ocean is a powerful thing. And then there's the theorized concept, mind you. Not proven, theorized. They said in some studies, I think, in a university in Australia, that it's possible, but it wasn't proven. It was proven in a laboratory... But that's different. You know, you could have something under set conditions, but does it occur in nature? That's yet to be proven. Where you have the concept of... You have rogue waves, which that's where the wave is way higher than the rest of the sea state. So what made that wave with that super tanker remarkable is that the other waves weren't 100 feet tall. You had this 100-foot wave that came out of nowhere, and... That's what makes that stuff, number one, creepy and scary, but so damn cool at the same time. 100-foot wave, just for no reason, just just because it wanted to, essentially, comes out of nowhere. I mean, isn't that something? And we know that with waves, you know, it's divided. You have the peaks and the troughs. And the rogue wave is defined when the peak is far higher than any of the surrounding waves. But what was proven in the laboratory is waves that theoretically could have the trough that is much lower than the rest of the waves. So they would call that a rogue hole. So you'd be going along and going along, and then all of a sudden you'd be like falling into a pit. It would just bottom out on you for no, for no reason. Because the trough is going to be way lower. It's going to be like three times lower than the rest. And they proved the existence of rogue holes in a, like a wave pool in a university. But it's never been proven in the ocean. And this is just an uninformed guess. But just the way it strikes me, I would figure that if rogue holes actually existed, that they would be more destructive to 
sailing vessels than rogue waves would be. But that's just my uninformed conjecture. Um, maybe they would be, maybe they wouldn't be. I don't know how the specifics of, you know, shipbuilding and the physics and what's meant to withstand this and that, and I don't know. That's just an ill-informed guess. Uh, fun to think about, anyway. You're listening to VORW International. We have an email coming in from Mason, who writes, First time writing in, but I was first introduced to your channel in 2017. Finding out about your interest in the paranormal was like the icing on the cake. Um, that was ending a, a paragraph that I kind of paraphrased, just saying that he liked the uh, the channel and all of that. And obviously then the paranormal discussion that we had in the last program. Anyway, continuing. My fascination with the supernatural was largely kindled by the media I consumed growing up reading Goosebumps books, and watching weird TV shows or scary videos on YouTube. Even nearly a decade after their initial releases, I'm still hooked on the Mysteries, Creatures, and Concepts series, like Gravity Falls and Five Nights at Freddy's introduced to me. You don't strike me as the type who pays attention to modern video games, uh, but I'm really curious, have you ever found yourself interested in mystery, paranormal-based media franchises like that? I look forward to hearing your response. So thanks, Mason, for writing in. Sometimes I forget the names of these things, and I, uh, you know, I won't necessarily try, but, um... I know growing up I watched, you know, a few of these, like, paranormal types of shows. I always, uh, had an interest in the unknown. And my approach to things was always with at least a degree of open-mindedness. I'm not the type that will just automatically, let's say, look at every little noise that's made and immediately think, oh, that's a ghost, you know, that's an interdimensional portal, that's uh, this, that, or the other thing. But at the same time, I'm not the one that'll just sit there and try to assume that there is an answer for everything either. I think that there are just things that, number one, we just don't know, or number two, things that in some cases, as they're kept from us. Maybe for our own good, I don't know. But uh, it's like, this is totally unrelated, and I'm, I'm not even going to cite really very many specific examples, because I don't even want to give the slightest impression that I'd have any clue what I'm talking about beyond the, uh, hmm, that's interesting kind of viewpoint. But one thing that kind of interests me on, I guess that's kind of a, a hobby level, just something that I'll, I'll occasionally watch uh, before I go to sleep, for instance, kind of stuff like that, is uh, 
cosmology, and that's a lot of the study of the universe. But it just amazes me that you actually have people out there that, I don't know, they're so sure of themselves that they actually feel like they have answers for questions upon which we obviously haven't any. And it just kind of baffles me that even as someone who just follows this sort of stuff in my free time, not seriously studying it, but it just strikes me that it's like you want to shake your head and you think, are you actually saying this with this degree of certainty? Do you actually think you know the answer to this? But I don't know, you just get people like that, you know, where they, they, I think they legitimately think that we know everything. And I find that ridiculous. Who knows, you know, some, there might be a day where some of the fundamental principles for things turn out to be incorrect. I don't know. Who's to say? Anyway, what I was, what I was getting at was, um, Growing up, I always liked those sorts of series that would focus on the unknown, and I would always be open-minded. It's like, there were things that I would see that I, I would think, I think this person's, and this is how I am to this day still, I'll think, oh, I think this person is just jumping the gun here, or I think that they may be a bit biased. But then there are those other situations where I think, you know, this might really be something. And uh, at the very least, this stuff is just plain cool. I think that's just how I see it anyway. So all this sort of stuff is interesting. And I'm not really one to watch organized series. Uh, I like watching these days a lot of more independent stuff, like even on YouTube, like people describing firsthand uh, their encounters with various things, be that cryptids, or ghosts, or any of that. Uh, that sort of stuff interests me, and I prefer that, because sure, you could just have a random person sitting there in front of a camera just messing with everyone and just lying to you, but at the same time, it just feels a whole lot more raw and authentic, and I like that. And you could tell with some of these folks, they definitely experienced uh, something. And I just like hearing this sort of stuff. You know, these are people who essentially aren't out to prove themselves. They're just telling their story, and I like that. So uh, I've really been enjoying a lot of that sort of stuff. But again, I've also been watching like some scientific videos and all of that sort of uh, stuff, just about some of the various uncertainties, even about the universe. Now, some of these subjects, like with the universe and all of that, uh, will put people in an existential crisis, but I'm at that point where I just kind of shrug at all of it, and I just think, well, you know, there's just going to be things that we're never going to know, and that's that. And uh, that's just what it comes down to. But it's all really neat. Thank you for writing in. Next email comes in from Sarah, who says, I finished watching today's Running on Empty. 
I'm genuinely sad that Culver's let you down. To, uh, just to interject, I'm quite disappointed too. And I'll share a few thoughts on that before uh, I get to the rest of your email. I tried out this burger the other day, if you haven't seen the review, from Culver's. And, I, you know, Culver's is one of those chains that I like. They are uh, pretty reliable, and I like them. They do a good job, and I feel that by and large, they do a good job in terms of their product. It tastes good, and, uh, and that's all that there is to it. Now, the thing that kind of baffles me is the fact that some people seem... Well, maybe some people just don't understand my methodology. You see, when I do a review... And I mention this, I feel like I have to mention this in every single show that I do, but what the heck, it's in my mind and we'll mention it once more. When I do these reviews, you have to realize, I, I'm not here to cherry pick. By that I mean, I am not here to say, I only want to get the best item. Right, I'm not here to be like one of those guys that you get on Food Network who is going around to restaurants and obviously he's there to showcase the food so he's going to get the best meal, you know? It's like he's doing a series... I'm not not even referencing anyone in particular, but like the best burgers or something, right? They're obviously going to get the best burger. The people working at the establishment that they're doing the show at are going to be giving it their 100% effort, and you're going to get a good product. That's not my goal. I think some people forget that. I don't go there to these restaurants and say, I'm going to be doing a review of this, and uh, you better, come on, chop, chop. (laughs) Let's go, boy. Make that burger real good for me. (laughs) For God's sake, I don't do that. No. No. I don't want them to make me a burger that's any better than what they would be making you. Or any item, for that matter. When I do these reviews, I always say, I just want to to try to give the authentic fast food impression that I am just... A regular fast food consumer, let's just say someone that's on his lunch break, and I happen to be scrolling through my phone, or I see a billboard, or I'm listening to the radio and I hear a commercial, or something, and I I get wind of this new release, and I think, oh, I wonder what it's going to taste like. Ah, oh, let me order it. Let's see. I want to give that authentic experience that any other person would get. And that's why I just will review what I get. So some people say, well, it's clear that you got a bad burger. Redo it until you get a a good one. I think, but that's not a fair assessment. Right? We understand that fast food is variable. And so then when it comes down to these reviews, when you factor in variability, right, in these establishments... You're forced to make a choice right then and there. You want to say, all right, what methodology do I want to pursue with the reviews? 
I could either forget the variability and keep getting items until they're good and only review a certain type of item and, you know, keep doing it until it's like what it looks like in the ad or just review whatever I get and make that absolute. No exceptions, no variances. I'll just review what's put in front of me and that's going to be that. And I chose the latter. Now, if someone chooses the former, I haven't a problem with that. That's just the way they do things, right? It's like, this is the way I do things on my channel. Some people like it, some people don't. But there's plenty of other channels out there, I'm certain, that they may do things differently. And that might just be your kind of thing. And there's, there's, that's why there's other channels out there. No one's forcing you to uh, watch this channel. But number one, you get people who act like I should just be one of those food shows, but that's not what I'm about. And people just have to accept that. And if they don't like it, then all I could tell you in, well, just the most straightforward term is then watch a channel that does things that way, like one of those Food Network shows that might be more your speed. So I'll just review what's put in front of me. And if it turns out to be good, then it's good. But if it's bad, it's bad. And I, I try to just give that authentic experience because we all know if you buy fast food these days in 2022, you're going to get things that are just god-awful. And uh, I want to try to accurately portray that, that if an item is bad, I want to clearly show it. It might not look appetizing, it might not be a good thing to say, but that's just what I want to do. I don't think it's fair any other way. And, uh, and that's that. Now, secondly, for some reason, people keep making excuses for these places. And it's like, did you... Honestly, I don't think that they did watch the actual video when they say these idiotic things. But I think to myself, did you watch the video? Did you even listen to what I had to say in the review? Did you even... I bet you didn't. You even perk your ears up when I uh, said that I like Culver's, that I enjoy them, and that I'm disappointed because it was a subpar product from an establishment that normally provides very, very good and high-quality items, and because of that drastic variance, I'm more let down... I'm more let down than usual. Did you even listen to that or are you going to sit there like a stupid idiot saying that I have COVID, yet I even compensated for that in the review because I knew people like you were going to say that, and uh, that's why I mentioned, yes, I can taste the garlic and I can taste the coffee beforehand. But you get these people that it's like, why are you, wh what are you even trying to say here? I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope, anyway, to the person who sent this email, I'm not even talking about you at all. I was just referencing people in the YouTube comments. I, I gotta clarify that I'm not going on a tirade against you. But anyway, you mentioned... Uh, I live in Illinois, just south of the Wisconsin border, and ate at one of the Wisconsin Culver's original locations... Uh, during a family vacation in the 90s. We loved the butter burgers and custard, and for years, after our vacation, we often lamented the fact that 
The amazing fast food place we ate at that one time in Wisconsin didn't have any other locations near our home. We were delighted when they opened a location just a few minutes away from my maternal grandparents' home in the 1999. And I have many fond memories eating there with my grandmother and other family members. We were over the moon when later in 2004 a Culver's opened in my hometown. Culver's certainly does have a well-established reputation for premium quality fast food, and they have generally earned the reputation for that most part, as you said in your review. To interject, I'm glad you, you actually listened compared to some people, and I appreciate that. Continuing, I myself have many happy memories, and it truly saddens me when I see them fail to deliver. I'm hoping this experience was one off, fingers crossed. In closing, I thank you for your honest and entertaining reviews. What is your favorite flavor of Culver's custard? Which fast food restaurant do you think makes the best burgers? So, number one, thank you. Thank you for your understanding. Glad you at least you get the point. Some people don't, but you do. Culver's, and by and large, you know, they have good stuff. It's like the last time I was at Culver's before this review, the burger was great. So this, I just hope, was a severe outlier. And right now it is. Right now it is. I'll tell you that right now. Because for the most part, I've only had good experiences. And uh, hopefully they'll stay that way. Now, I don't really think most people will care, but in the next show that I do, if I'm at Culver's between this podcast and the next one that I do, and odds are I will be, I'll give a little update in the next program that I do, and I'll let you know if this is indicative, based on my findings, of a larger trend, or uh, if it was just one-off. Now, anyway... The frozen custard that they have is great, but to be honest, it's a, I don't know if it might be disappointing, but it is nothing that's any sort of, um, nothing crazy. I just like vanilla. That's, <laughs> oh, I know, I know, it's vanilla, that's it, yeah. That's all that I like, the vanilla. Pretty much just plain vanilla. That's just my thing. So, that's what I'm all about. All about that vanilla life. But they've got other good stuff, too. But I just like the basics. Why not? Vanilla is, uh... You can't go wrong with it. Uh, fast food restaurants with the best burgers, you know? I wonder if anyone could hear that bird. Maybe. I don't know, the microphone's directional. It's irrelevant. Anyway, honestly, I would put Culver's near the top of that list. And that's why I was so let down in that review. Because this is a place, like I said, is still at the top of that list. They usually make a good product. They usually do. So Culver's is good. They're pretty good. Uh, five Guys. Five Guys... 
back in 2016, I criticized them a bit, but they've definitely, they've gotten better once again. So Five Guys is up there. Uh, In-N-Out Burger, I can't, I don't have enough information about. I've only been there once, so I can't really say much. It's crazy to think that there was a time when I would say that Steak and Shake would actually be on that list, but now forget it. That place, talk about a fall from grace with them. Very disappointing. So thank you, Sarah, for writing in. I'm going to read one more email, and that's going to be that. I don't know if anyone can tell, but my voice at this point is a little weak. I don't know, I just feel very depleted. So, I've got more emails to read, but I just can't do it. And I'm sorry, let me look. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 emails that I wanted to get to, and I have to just end it at this one. I just, I don't have it in me at this point. And for that, I apologize to all those of you who sent in those 24 other emails, but know that I have them on record. I'm not doing anything with them. After I finish editing this show, I have them all in a folder for show topics. And I'm going to clear out the ones that I read, and I'm going to leave the other ones in there. And uh, in the next show, I'll try to get to a few of those as well. But you, you all put the effort into making them, and I will certainly, when I can, put the effort into responding to them. And our final email for the program comes in from Brendan in Ottawa, Canada. First and foremost, I'd like to thank you for the shout-out on your second most recent podcast. I have a few comments on response to uh, your comment about ADD mindset, uh, lack of critical thought in today's media and social environments. While I don't disagree with your position, I believe the problem of issue oversimplification stems from the inability of the general public to think critically about issues. I've witnessed a sharp decline, anecdotally, among my acquaintances who left the academic environment of college slash university and subsequently began to parrot talking points of Facebook pages as if they'd come to those conclusions all on their own. To interject thus far, yeah, you're spot on. You're hitting the nail right on the head, in my opinion. Continuing, a part of that may be because folks are inundated with stimuli on an ever more frequent basis, and they lack time to sit with and process issues or scenarios beyond their most basic elements red slash good team good or bad because of X or Y. We're overburdened with perspectives from entities who seek to retain our attention for as long as possible 
in this hyper-competitive market for our eyes and ears leads to platforms shortening and oversimplifying issues so they can pack everything into a 15-second TikTok or a 90-second piece to camera. To me, this means that people slowly lose or never learn the ability to think critically about information and sources because they're so distracted by the bright colors and fast-talking presenters. And there's just not enough time in the day to hone those skills, and thus, they've lost time, and we move further towards total dependence on broken-down, simplified content. So again, so far, yeah, I think everything that you're saying, I, I agree with. I, uh, I agree critical thought is... Uh, it is sorely needed these days, and we're not getting any. That's the problem. Pardon me, that was a sip of water. Uh, let's get to the rest of your email. You continue. I agree that there is a consortium of forces who prefer that we don't think about things, but I'll suggest that it's not necessarily as a result of an ulterior motive beyond profiting from our truncated attention spans. There's a larger discussion there about what profit means and how profit happens, but that's a later discussion. At any rate, I appreciate your ability to inspire me to stay up and type all this out at 2 a.m. when I should be in bed or doing some schoolwork instead. Uh, your communication style is perfect thinking these things through and calmly hearing out points while crafting these sorts of responses. Thank you for the work that you do. Uh, thank you, Brendan, for taking the time to write this out. Brendan in Ottawa, Canada. Yeah, so I see I see the the only divergence there. It's honestly not even the, the basic point. I know we, we see it the exact same way. The one thing that I always, I wonder... A few years ago, I would think that it was solely just due to the fact that um, it would just be, you know, to, like you said, to profit off of things, um, profit off of people. But I don't know. I just can't help. Do I have a substantial amount of stuff? This is like a hunch. And I say that. That's just why I preface that. But I just have a gut feeling that absolutely, you know, corporate entities, uh, the media, etc., take advantage of, you know, the lack of critical thinking. But I just think if it's something that's going to be exploited by big businesses and by the media, then why wouldn't it be exploited by the powers that be in this world, right? Why wouldn't it be? And I don't, there's no answer. I think, well, of course it would be, right? You know, you have a lot of people that they just want, I think anyway, money and control. And I think that you do have people up there, not that you can do anything about it that needs to be overwhelmingly clear that this is just the way that it is and you're powerless, I think. But I think you have people out there that if they could have things their way, they would 
They would control every aspect of your life, if they could. And it's not about any sort of greater good or any of that, but these people are so narcissistic and they're so delusional that they just want more and more and more. They want more money, they want more power, and they want to be absolute. They want to tell everyone what to do. You have to do, you know, they want to command everything, ideally with an iron fist. But I think people like that would want the population not to critically think so people don't question things. Now, you could question something and be wrong in the end, but I still think that the, the process of asking questions, ascertaining answers, is an extremely important one. And I think it's important, too, to think outside the box. And you've got to question things. You've got to say, well, why? Right? Why, why is it this way? Right? Why are they doing this? Well, you know, whatever it is. But if you have the time to ask those questions. And another thing, I think a very important thing with critical thought that needs to be mentioned is the process of also accepting that sometimes I'll have a hunch, I'll have an idea, I'll have a notion, and I'll be wrong in the end. I'll be wrong in the end, and that's all right. Provided I accept that I got things wrong, I could use that then as a learning opportunity to realize my mistakes and better myself therefrom. It's important to realize that, that we're not always going to get everything right all the time. And it's all right. I know we can get very... We can get, you know, sometimes unwavering in certain ways. And for some reason, people see this as a negative thing. I don't. It's all right to change your mind. You know, it's okay. As situations change, as situations evolve, as our understanding of things evolves, in my opinion, it's all right to change your mind. It's actually better if you feel more confident now in a certain viewpoint as opposed to a different one. It's okay then by all means, go for it. That's the best approach to take, in my opinion. I'm not afraid to admit I've changed my mind on things. It's like, I'll use COVID as an example, right? My viewpoint on the COVID situation is vastly different than how it was in early 2020. And I'm not afraid to admit that, you know? I'm not afraid to admit that my initial understanding was incorrect. Where certain factors were way overweighed than others. But as the situation changed, as more information came out, as I observed certain things, my viewpoint shifted, evolved. And that's okay. So... That's just something in that regard. But, like, one thing that has evolved, definitely, is my opinion. 
And like I said, I said it right there, it's an opinion about lack of critical thought, but how I think that sometimes certain powers, let's say in government, want people's attention span to be low, I think it just makes sense to me. That's all that I'm saying. I don't have anything to back this up. It just makes sense to me. That wouldn't, if you want to control a population, and if you're in control of, let's say, a lot of the media, or at least you have substantial influence over it, doesn't mean you have to have a censorship officer in every media outlet, but if you have enough pull with them that you could just get them to do whatever you want, right, one way or another, then wouldn't it be for the best that if you could have that you could have the population distractible? So if one thing doesn't go your way, you just say, oh, look over there. And then people will forget about something else. Or you can manipulate certain things easier because people just aren't going to remember it. Or they're not really going to think about anything beyond the headline that they're given. Like, doesn't that make sense? Makes sense to me. And, you know, I was reading, like, the other day about... uh, Well, you see this all over the place. You see, I hope people understand that media has bias. You know, every media outlet, for the most part, has biases these days. And that's just the way that it goes. It's like, you could have an outlet that says, we're only going to tell you the facts. Well, that's what they're telling me. Does that mean that that's what they're really doing, or is that just what they're saying that they're doing? And then they're just giving me a one-sided viewpoint that's essentially propagandized, and they're just telling me those are the facts. So, I was just reading about, you know, various dictatorships and how they've used the media. It's a powerful tool, but I don't see why it wouldn't still be used to this day. I think it's obvious that it is, for one reason or another, but, um, I don't know, it's just the whole thing, like, in terms of attention spans and being distractible, it just seems like maybe this is just the way that it turned out, but it certainly, at the very least, I would go as far as to definitively say, wouldn't such a trait certainly be possible? Wouldn't it just be possible for a trait like that to be exploited by an opportunistic government. Wouldn't, couldn't it? Seems likely to me. Is it? That's where, that's where we have the big what if, right? So we have the question mark. But I think most certainly, I could certainly theorize that maybe it is in some ways. Or maybe it will be. Is it right now? I can't say. But it makes sense that certainly it could be. This is how I see it. All right, everybody, that's all that I have for you tonight. Thanks for putting up with me. And uh, look, in the end, regardless of what I say in this show, what matters is for you on a day-to-day basis, pay attention to what's going on in the world when you can. I know things can be busy. Think critically and be the best you can be. Be the change that you want to see in the world. 
and even, in my opinion, as things often seem to be rapidly degrading, still try to maintain your dignity and be an upstanding individual. That's all for now, and until next time, be safe, be healthy, and I wish you all the very best. Take care, this is VORW.